Thank you for listening to the podcast today. This episode was brought to you by Anchor. What is Anchor? Well, let me explain. Not only is it free, but there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. On top of that, Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, oh, so many more. But wait, there's more. Anchor has so much faith in you as a podcaster that they would love to be your first sponsor, even before your first subscriber. Download Anchor today from the iOS or Android store, or go to anchor.fm to get started. Remember, it's all you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, thank you for listening. Have a great day. My, this year's flying by, isn't it? That being said, it's spooky season here on Inside Four Walls, so hopefully for the next 31 days, at least once a day if everything goes according to plan, I will be telling you one conspiracy theory. Or we'll go over some leaked documents that should send chills down your spine of what the government's willing to do to its own citizens. And there's a few cryptids and historical mysteries I want to read into. So join me for the Inside Four Walls October Spookathon, where there's nothing scarier than what's real. There's a lot of talk about injections lately, isn't there? There's a lot of vaccine talk, mandate talk, government, pharmaceutical, vaccine here, life-saving injection here. No matter how we look at it, the government still sees that as something it should push on you. And that takes me back to a simpler time. This article today comes from the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. After all, we do live in an era of a pandemic. I mean, you definitely want someone like the CDC on your side, I imagine. Because there's nothing scary about the sentence. Hi, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. The article begins the Tuskegee timeline. America would never... introduce an STD into society, would it? Of course not. Now, why would you even think such a thing? The government wants to help you. It wants to find cures. It wants to take its citizens into a brighter future tomorrow. The Tuskegee of untreated syphilis in the Negro male. Or more commonly known as the Tuskegee experiment. This article is a full timeline from 1932 to 1997, the year I was born, actually. And remember, this is from the CDC. Headline, the Tuskegee timeline. Begins in 1932. The USPHS, working with the Tuskegee Institute, began to study to record the natural history of syphilis. It was originally called the Tuskegee Study 
of untreated syphilis in the Negro male, now referred to as the USPHS Syphilis Study at Tuskegee. The study initially involved 600 black men, 399 with syphilis, 201 who did not have the disease. Participants informed consent was not collected, meaning they did not agree to this experiment. Researchers told the men that they were being treated for bad blood, a local term used to describe several ailments, including syphilis, amnesia, and fatigue. In exchange for taking part in the study, the men received free medical exams, free meals, and burial insurance. Because if there's ever an experiment perk you want for being a lab rat, it's definitely to make sure to know that your funeral will be covered. By 1943, penicillin was the treatment of choice for syphilis and becoming, and becoming widely available. But the patients in the study were not offered this treatment. They also were not told that they had AIDS. Oh, I'm sorry, syphilis. In 1972, an Associate Press story about the study was published. As a result, the Assistant Secretary for Health and Scientific Affairs appointed an Ad Havoc Advisory Panel to review the study. The advisory panel concluded that the study was, quote, ethnically unjustified. That is, quote, results were disproportionately meager compared to compared with known risks to human subjects involved, meaning the cost to human safety, life, and happiness wasn't outweighed by the data they got back from the study. Risks to human subjects involved. In October 1972, the panel advised stopping the study. A month later, the Assistant Secretary for Health and Scientific Affairs announced the end of the study. In March 1973, the panel also advised the Secretary of the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, or HEW, also now known as the Department of Health and Human Services, or DHS, to instruct the USPHS to provide all necessary medical care for the survivors of the study, the Tuskegee Health Benefit Program, THBP, was established to provide these services. In 1975, participants waived. Sorry, participants' wives, widows, and children were added to the program. In 1995, the program was expanded to include health, as well as medical benefits. The last study participants died in January. 2004. The last widow received THBP benefits died in the year 2009 in January. Participants' children, 10 at present, continue to receive medical and health benefits. Later, in 1973, a class action lawsuit was filed on behalf of the study. Participants and their families resulting in a 
$10 million out-of-court settlement in 1974. On May 16, 1997, President Bill Clinton issued a former, former, formal presidential apology for the study. Truly disturbing. I now will take you to the official AP archive. Now I'll play you that apology. George Key is represented by... I'm saddened today to think of those who did not survive and whose families will forever live with the knowledge that their death and suffering was preventable. What was done cannot be undone, but we can end the silence. We can stop turning our heads away. We can look at you in the eye and finally say on behalf of the American people, what the United States government did was shameful and I am sorry. For only you, Mr. Shaw, the others who are here, the family members who are with us in Tuskegee, only you have the power to forgive. Your presence here shows us that you have chosen a better path than your government did so long ago. You have not withheld the power to forgive. Mr. Shaw, the others who are here, it is against everything our country stands for, and what we must stand against is what it was. So let us resolve. And now that you've had the government take on it, let's move on to the New York Times by Carol Kosak Yun. Families emerge as silent victims of Tuskegee syphilis experiment. This article was published May 12, 1997. It begins, It has been 25 years since the nation learned that more than 400 black men infected with syphilis went untreated for decades in a federally financed experiment. In this rural southern town, laced with sandy roads and pine forest, these men, who are expected to receive a presidential apology, the one you just heard, Friday, in Washington, been the subject of countless academic studies, new articles and books, as well as plays and made-for-television movies. 
Yet their families, the wives and the children, may have unwittingly been exposed to the disease, have remained largely unseen and unheard, bearing in silence a legacy of anger and shame, as well as possible damage to their health. <laughs> it's interesting they say that when we know that these men were injected with syphilis and not told they had it, even though penicillin had become a well-known treatment for it. It's safe to say that these men went home and made love to their wives, kissed their kids goodnight, their parents, friends, families. It's safe to say that people outside of the original 400 people were injured. Well, as possible damages to their health. In an acknowledgement of harm that may have been done, the federal government since 1975 has been quietly running a small program that provides medical benefits to family members infected with syphilis. Quote, you get treated like lepers, said Albert Julkins Jr., 55 years old, whose father was a participant in the project the government called the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Male. Quote, people think it's the scourge of the earth to have it in your family. Mr. Jukes, a retired customer service superior for a gas station and electric utility, recounted his father's ordeal as he sat in the kitchen of his home just across the border in Columbus, Georgia. Quote, it was one of the worst atrocities ever reaped on people by the government. He said, quote, you don't treat dogs that way. End quote. In 1974, the federal government be began making well-publicized reparations to men who participated in the experiment. In each way, they were led to believe that they were receiving free medical care when, in actu when the actual purpose of the study was the long-term effects of untreated syphilis on black men. But since 1975, the government has also been making amends to some of the families, providing lifetime medical benefits to the 22 wives, 17 children, and two grandchildren with syphilis that they may have contracted as a direct result from the lack of treatment according to the men in the study. Quote, what they, what they deserve is the best medical care we can provide, said Dr. Bill Jenkins, who, in 1969, while a statistician with the National Center for Health Statistics in Washington, was among several people who unsuccessfully tried to end the experiment. Dr. Jenkins, who said he was appalled by the experiment and haunted by his unsuccessful efforts to halt it, is now an epidemiologist and devotes himself to running the government's program to provide medical benefits to the men and eligible family members. Quote, I try to give them, I try to give them the care that I would want to give my own mother, Dr. Jenkins said. In addition to providing care to the family members, the program 
at the Federal Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, called the Participants Health Benefits, called it the Participants Health Benefits Program. Also serves the eight surviving men. The program formerly known as, as the Tuskegee Health Benefits Program cost the federal government $2.1 million last year, Jenkins said. Last year being 1996. But while the program treats physical ills, the family members' emotional wounds have gone largely unrecognized. Some relatives say the pain of the Tuskegee experiment is still very real, even among the grandchildren and the study participants, some of whom have not ever been ever been born when the study was officially ended, after its, after its existence was widely reported in the press in 1972. Quote, I'm angry about it, very, very angry about it, said Carmen Head, whose grandfather, Freddie Lee Tyson, participated in, in the study. Miss Head, who is 22 and lives in Fairfax, Virginia, said family members had told her very little about her grandfather's participation. The subject is taboo, particularly with her grandchildren, she said, adding, quote, it's a painful issue in the family. Ms. Head's mother, Lily Head, of Waterbury, Connecticut, is one of many family members no longer living in the South. Ms. Head said she had never learned whether her father was one of the more than 400 participants with syphilis or if he was one of some 200 men without syphilis who were in the control group. Quote, it was something to be ashamed of, so it wasn't talked about, said Mrs. Head. 52, a high school physical education and health educator. Quote, we were really very disturbed after we found out my father was part of it. Martin Jurgen, 49 years old, a home health aide in Tuskegee said she has two cousins who are descendants of men in the experiment and knows many of other relatives of participants who are living in the area. Quote, they thought we were animals, stupid, that we didn't know any better, she said. Quote, times haven't changed when it comes to blacks. Herman Shaw, 40, 94 years old, a survivor of the study, still living on his family's farm in Tuskegee, sat on his front, por front porch on Thursday, sifting through photographs of his late wife, Franny May. Mr. Shaw was able to offer one of the few memories of his wife's reaction to learning the truth about the study. Quote, she was somewhat shocked may I say, he said, quote, because it was a disease, it wasn't anything that we heard about and nobody seemed to know about it. Dr. Vanessa Northington Gable, a medical historian and physician who directs the Center for the Study of Race and Ethnicity in Medicine at the University of Wisconsin's Medical School, 
said such reactions are common among family members. Quote, there is a lot of pain that people still express and feel about what the government has done to them and their family members, their community as well, said Dr. Gable, who has studied the experiment for years and is chairwoman for the Tuskegee Syphilis Study Legacy Committee, a group of experts formed last year to press it for an official apology. Quote, I talked to a woman in Wisconsin who knew that I'd been studying this. She recalled, quote, all of a sudden she started crying, saying her uncle was also in the study. The lingering shame and a distrust of government may be one reason that the number of family members in the participants health benefit program has never been high. Originally, 106 men who were in the experiment began receiving benefits in 1974. Dr. Jenkins said, but the number of wives appears to have never been very large. He said that in 1975, at what was probably the peak of participation by wives, only 50 had been tested. Of those, 27 were found positive for syphilis and eligible for the program. Mind you, this program was enacted almost 40 years after it had began. This started in the 1930s. These benefits started rolling out in the 1970s. <clears throat> Though the 40-year study, the men were never told the ex told of the experiment, and that those with syphilis were never told that they were infected. They never received any treatment for the disease, even when the use use of penicillin became a routine in the 1940s. When participants died. Researchers offered their families free burials in exchange for the rights to autopose so they could gather their final data for the study, which researchers say was scientifically flawed from the very start. Dr. Jenkins said that when the true nature of the study became known, some family members became so distrustful of the government that they refused to be tested for syphilis. No effort was made to track down the sexual partners of these men, other than their wives. When the study was underway, some wives tried to enroll, believing the project was a reliable source of medical care. When they were turned away, many were very upset, according to Dr. Jim Jones. Well, let me tell you, when it comes to poisoning people en masse, there is nobody that I would trust more than a man named Jim Jones. It seems like that name carries a lot of weight and experience when it comes to poisoning mass individu <laughs> individuals en masse. Dr. Jim Jones, a historian at the University of Houston and author of the, quote, Bad Blood Free Press 1993 article, which historians regard as a definitive account of the experiment. Dr. Jenkins said another reason the number of wives in the program might be low is that some men chose for the study 
some of the men chosen for the study were supposedly in a latent non-infectious stage of syphilis, unable to transmit the disease to their wives. That point, however, is still being debated with little evidence. Quote, it's unclear what stage of the disease the men were at, Dr. Gamble said. Quote, so it brings the issue around to the women and children. And nowadays, the Tuskegee experiment is so notorious that scientists resist doing anything that could be construed as continuing the so-called research. Quote, no one has ever studied the health consequences to the families. Not to my knowledge, Dr. Jenkins said, quote, we will not compile the data in any way to make an assessment of them as a group. It would seem too much like another study, end quote. If such an effort is organized, he added, quote, I don't want to have anything to do with it, end quote. But Dr. Jenkins said, even if researchers knew how many family members were infected with syphilis, there would be no way there would be no way to be certain whether the syphilis was contracted from the men in the study or the test for syphilis is a blood test for antibodies to a disease a positive result indicates only that a person had syphilis at some point in their lives with no indication of when or from where the infection arose. Fred David Gray, a lawyer who has represented participants in the study since 1972, winning them an out-of-court settlement totaling $10 million, said that in 1974, as part of the agreement, the government was ordered to provide lifetime health care for participants as well as some of the family members. Quote, I hope to see, and I think what the men would like to see, is some final closure, Mr. Gray said in an interview on Thursday in his Tuskegee office. He said in the last 23 years, he has given out settlement payments to some 6,000, 6,000 heirs and participants, despite the fact that the apologies expected this Friday, and Mr. Gray, as well as four of the elderly survivors, are planning to attend. Mr. Gray said he is continuing to press the president to change the site of his apology to Tuskegee. It was soon after Mr. Gray and some of the survivors of the experiment held a news conference here in April to request the government apologize at the White House said one would be forthcoming. Dr. Gamble said the study's legacy committee she heads has been pressing for months for an official apology. But Dr. Jenkins said any form of apology should be seen not as an end, but as just the beginning. <laughs> Quote, There's a tendency to believe that African Americans are reluctant to participate in research because of this one study, and I think that belittles the concerns of the African Americans. Dr. Jenkins said, quote, They are concerned about public health research because 
They're alienated from American society, and in any number of ways. And this study is the bellwether. It's much bigger than just the study. And we're going to have to do a lot more work than just apologize for this. And that article again was by Carol Kosuk Yoon, May 12th, 1997. Now, the government can't just run a massive harmful psyop like this by itself. It needs people. It needs employees, staff, field agents, operatives, of course, plants, if you will. It needs all these to enact its sick social experiment. And I would like to introduce you to perhaps the most important doctor, the most important field operative in the entire Tuskegee experiment. A man that when he died, he was praised as a hero of medicine, lauded over in obituaries across the country. Now let me introduce you to Dr. John Charles Cutler. We take you to one of the former publications that sang his praises upon his passing, but recently they're having a little bit of a change of heart. Published Friday, October 1st, 2021. This good doctor had evil in his past. By Tony Norman. Now, the government can't just run a massive harmful psyop like this by itself. It needs people. It needs employees, staff. Field agents, operatives, of course, plants, if you will. It needs all these to enact its sick social experiment. And I would like to introduce you to perhaps the most important doctor, the most important field operative in the entire Tuskegee experiment. A man that when he died, he was praised as a hero of medicine, lauded over in obituaries across the country. Now let me introduce you to Dr. John Charles Cutler. We take you to one of the former publications that sang his praises upon his passing, but recently they're having a little bit of a change of heart. Published Friday, October 1st, 2021. This Good Doctor Had Evil in His Past by Tony Norman. The article begins. When Dr. John Charles Cutler, a retired professor at the University of Pittsburgh Graduate School of Public Health, died in February 2003, this newspaper took note of it with a lottery obituary. <laughs> The first paragraph described Dr. Cutler as someone who, quote, led the way in trying to prevent and control sexually transmitted diseases around the world, and, quote, a former assistant surgeon general in the U.S. Health Service, quote, was part of a group that in 1994 worked on ways penicillin could be used to treat syphilis, 
And for you people and kitties at home listening along on your old radio for the spooky seasons, I hope you're starting to connect some dots here. Among his many accomplishments, Dr. Cutler worked for the Allegheny County Health Department and organized the Hill District's final polio vaccination program in 1960. A decade later, he was one of the founders of the Family Health Council of West Pennsylvania and a major fundraiser for an international health project in West Africa. Because of Dr. Cutler, obstetricians and gynecologists from around the, from the third world were able to come to America and study reproductive health technology. No wonder colleagues referred to him as a, quote, much beloved professor. Although Cutler's appointment as head of the venereal disease study in Guatemala in 1948 got a brief mention in the obituary. The passing reference wouldn't mean anything until several years after he was dead. Last week, President Barack Obama personally apologized to the Guatemalan president, Avaro Colum. Five years ago, medical historian Susan Werverby unearthed an unpublished study that archives the University of Pittsburgh that revealed a much darker shade of Dr. Cutler's research in the country. From 1946 to 1948, Dr. Cutler oversaw a study in which American scientists deliberately infected hundreds of Guatemalan prison inmates, mentally ill patients, and soldiers with syphilis. To test the effectiveness of penicillin, when the syphilitic prostitutes proved too unreliable a source for spreading the disease, Dr. Cutler and his colleagues injected the men. To say it was already an unusual and unethical study is an understatement. Not to worry, though. Dr. Cutler eventually treated the human guinea pigs with low quality of life saving penicillin. Only one man is reported to have died as a result of the experiment, but that may have been from an underlying condition. <laughs> Alas, the more consideration. Alas, that's more consideration than what another group of human guinea pigs got from Dr. Cutler and his colleagues after Dr. Cutler moved on to Tuskegee, Alabama from 1932. To 1972. We now move over to the official Tuskegee Study.com. Bad Blood, the Tuskegee Syphilis Study. A study is born. Quote, we were targets of opportunity, strictly targets of opportunity. There was no humanity in this whatsoever. No consideration given to their status. No consideration given to them at all. They were just targets. They were just convenient guinea pigs. Jean Heller, investigative reporter in, the stu in a student phone interview. An unappalled opportunity. The USPHS planned for a six-month study to record observations. Quote, on a group of 400 syphilitic male Negroes who have made, who have received no treatment and a 
comparable group who have received adequate therapy. Annual report of the Surgeon General in 1938. Quote, the recent syphilis control demonstration carried out in Lacoon County with the fiscal assistance of the Julius Rosenwald Fund revealed a presence of unusually high prevalence rates in this county. This collaboration together with the expected cooperation of your hospital offers an unparalleled opportunity for carrying out a piece of scientific research which probably cannot be duplicated anywhere else in the world. Surgeon General H.S. Cummings in a letter to Tuskegee Institute Director R.R. R. Morton in 19, 1932. We now have a little bit of audio for you from James Jones, author of Bad Blood, the Tuskegee Syphilis Experiments. So what Tolliver Clark was is a racial comparison of the progress of the two diseases in whites and blacks. And one of the reasons he wants that is that there is a notion in medicine uh, that syphilis in its advanced stage in African-Americans is more likely to attack the cardiovascular system and that in white people it's more likely to attack the neural system. Quote, I think that such a study as you have contemplated would be of immense value. It would be necessary, of course, in the consideration of the results to evaluate the special factors introduced by a selection of the materials from Negro males. Syphilis in the Negro, in many respects, almost a different disease from syphilis in the white. Dr. J. E. Moore of John Hopkins University, in a letter to Clark Head of the United States Public Health Service. A Moral Rupture At this time, legal codes for human experimentation were non-existent. Regardless, the doctors knowingly made moral, irresponsible decisions. Where the prior bioethics laws put into place prior to Tuesday, were the prior bioethics laws put into place prior to Tuskegee? No, not really. Not in the sense of formal codes, but what about the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have done unto you, unto yourself. What about the Hippocratic Oath? So no, in terms of formal laws, but in terms of doctor-patient relationships, they knew they were initially harming the patients. Susan Reverby, author of Examining Tuskegee and Tuskegee Truths, in the student phone interview in 2014. At first, the first stage draft, in September 1932, Clark sent Dr. Raymond H. Vondeler to recruit participants, assisted by the USPC USPHS personnel, Valdnir, advised the study at local community venues to test for syphilis. Doctors drew blood samples from prospective patients. 
one of the studies studies key clinicians nurse Eunice Rivers describes the meeting as over flooded with people coming to get their blood drawn Rivers in 1977 in the Macon County experiment the subjects were found through the two institutions they trusted most church and school Herman Shaw heard about a chance to become a special government patient. The way I heard about it, it was through a rumor that uh, the people, it came out of Macon County, and people said that you could get free medicine for yourself and things of that kind. And it would have a meeting at Salmon Chapel and it had a certain date. And those of us who were eligible was of a certain age but then it had to be a certain age to be eligible to participate in this meeting. Therefore, I went. You heard that right, folks. The federal government crept in through the churches in a small community to recruit black men to be injected with syphilis and then have these patients never be told that they had syphilis. Instead, be given a bunch of placebos and do-nothing substances. Even after penicillin had become the dominant force of curing syphilis. This was a study funded for and paid for and operated by the U.S. government against its own citizens. I'd like to let you know this is only the first episode of this entire October-long series into the disturbances the U.S. government is willing to bring upon its citizens in the name of ethical research. But we're not done here yet. We have two more quotes to read. To abide by guidelines set by Alabama officials, Voltier offered mercury ointments on neurocephalcimine in meager doses to to infected participants. The free treatment appealed to the sharecroppers, who understood that the term bad blood, but not the term syphilis. Quote, The people who came in were not told what was being done. We told them we wanted to test them. They were not told. So as far as I know, what they were being treated for, or what they thought they were being treated for the subjects they thought they were being treated for rheumatism or bad stomachs we didn't tell them that we were looking to study syphilis i don't think they would have understood what that was dr jw williams intern at saint andrew's hospital in tuskegee institute 1987 spinal taps to determine whether syphilis affected African Americans and Caucasians differently, the doctors administered spinal taps to examine developments in neurosyphilis in patients. Spinal taps left patients suffering side effects for weeks. Quote, they simply do not like spinal punctures. A few of those who were tapped are enthusiastic over the results, but most the suggestion causes violence and violent shaking of heads. Others claim 
they were robbed of their procreative power, regardless of the fact that I claim it stimulated them. Assistant Surgeon General Austin V. Dalbert, in a letter to Raymond Vondia, on site director of the Tuskegee Syphilis Study. Hey, how come that needle's so big? I ain't never seen no needle that color, Miss Evers. It's real gold. It's real gold. It's nothing too good for the color. Don't move, Willie. Okay, now take a deep breath. Very important to stay still with That is some disturbing audio. We have a letter here from the Macoon County Health Department, Alabama State Board of Health, and the U.S. Public Health Services Cooperative and Cooperating with Tuskegee Institute. <laughs> Dear Sir, Some time ago you were given a thorough examination, and since that time we hope you have gotten a great deal of treatment for bad blood. You will now be given your last chance to get a second examination. This examination is not is a very special one, and after it is finished, you will be given a special tre- you'll be given a special treatment if it is believed you are in a condition to stand for it. If you want the special examination and treatment, you must meet the nurse blanked out on blanked out at blanked out. She will bring you to the Tuskegee Institute Hospital for a free treatment, and we will be very busy when these examinations and treatments are being given. And we'll have lots of people to wait on. You will remember that you had to wait for some time when you had your last good examination. And we wish to let you know that because we expect to be so busy, it may be necessary for you to remain in the hospital overnight. If this is necessary, you will be furnished in your meals, you'll be furnished your meals and a bed, as well as examined and treatment without cost. Remember, this is your last chance for the special free treatment. Be sure to meet the nurse. Signed, Macoon County Health Department. Study patients received this misleading letter, enticing them to continue their participations with a special examination, despite there being no treatment provided. Quote, a Tuskegee study subject undergoes a spinal tap to obtain spinal fluids for neurosyphilis testing. Subjects were duped into agreeing to the painful and dangerous procedure. And that, my friends, 
brings this first October episode of Inside Four Walls, Spooktober, to a close. The government will treat you how it wants to treat you. Your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues could all be swindled. And as we've learned today, the person swindling you could very well be that church leader you look up to. That doctor you've been going to for years who's seen you since you were a little kid. Your neighbors could be in on it. You never know who the government will pay off to lead you down the wrong path. And you are not immune to propaganda. And they will play on everything that works to get you into their dirty little hands to make you their next guinea pig for some unknown, ungodly experiment. Though that being said, you should really go and get vaccinated. After all, the government just wants to inject you with a life-saving special treatment. I'll see you at one o'clock. Everyone in the office is really excited about Power Slap joining Rumble. One, two, three! Yeah! Iron chin, iron chin. Ooh, it hurts. Stings! I think it's brought us closer as a team. Hey, Wolverine, great job today, brother. Oh, Jesus! It was just a high five, dude!